hi guys it's been a minute right i know happy new year you know happy new year to everybody i think the last time we we're here together was in december now it's a new year um and you know i took some time away just to prep properly for the year especially when it comes to the podcast making sure that you know we're ready to um release as many stories as we can find and share with you guys every single week um but i'm glad that we're here and i have a pretty pretty interesting um you know startup story to to share with you guys um an interview session with with a founder of, of a fintech company in in africa nigeria specifically and yeah so stay tuned hello everyone i'm cynthia ichisom and welcome to startup stories with cynthia this is where we talk about the real relatable inspiring and exciting journey of startup founders so let's get straight into it So for a while now, I have been following the Tribe of Pay story, and uh, you know, from the point when Bolu put out like a word saying, okay, you know, they have something called Tribe of Pay um, in the process, to when like you wear the Tribe of Pay uh, branded shirts, and I'll be like, okay, what what are you guys up to? And you know, if you shared with me, you know, what they've been building. So you know, I just kept that conversation going and just to see how much they've done in six months is like pretty incredible i was like we have to dig deep into this because i want to know what you know sparked that um and in today's episode we we really did that we really went back to the very beginning and it's so interesting to see bolo transition through different episodes in his life from you know deciding to get into blogging to um starting a media company to selling iPads to students you know after buying them from computer village to um going through like series and series of you will I say business experiences to actually doing digital marketing right and selling the courses to over 15,000 students and then jumping on board the ship with a co-founder to to start a company called Stormia and you know getting that sold and acquired by our pass and then moving on to to uh, uh, Stamboss and then from Stamboss to Tribe Tri- Pay so just different will I say experiences right with building a startup and it's really incredible so we really 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 went deep and I'm really glad that i get to put together this story and just put it out to you guys i feel like it's a great privilege i feel like every story that i put out on this platform is a great privilege to be able to get the story out to you guys so i am excited and i can't wait for you guys to dive in deep all right then see you guys at the end hi bolo how you doing today I'm doing okay. Good good afternoon. Good morning. Good evening wherever you may be listening from. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, I mean, let's get straight into it. I mean, Tribal Pay, you guys are doing amazing stuff. Like, it's a fintech companies. 
Uh, it's one of the many fintech companies that we have in Nigeria. I mean, our last episode was with another fintech founder. And one of the things he established was that, you know, fintech is, it may seem saturated, but there's still a lot more work to be done. So I, I'm really excited that we're going to talk about your own special, like unique offering that TribalPay has to bring to the table. But before, let's go to the very, very beginning. Like, did mm-hmm. you at any point in your life really think you were going to get into this whole stop world? Like, when you were young, what was your dream? <laughs> was it becoming a of our uh, when I was young, depends. There were many different phases. I think everybody had a, a phase where they wanted to be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> so definitely I had my earliest phases wanting to be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> then I think I had another phase where I wanted to be a footballer. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just thought that it was cool because I was watching football a lot. So I had that phase. I had the phase where I wanted to be a football coach. I think that was when I eventually agreed that I couldn't play football very well. So I said, I'll just coach. I had the phase where I thought I was going to be many things. At at different points, I probably thought I was going to be an actor or something. Are you serious? A writer. Maybe, Maybe I could still become some of these things, but I'm just saying... Each there were many things I thought I would be, but then um entrepreneurship was I don't think was one of those. Um I think it was later on, you know, having left you know, um high school that I began to see myself mm. possibly doing entrepreneurship, you know, when I when I began to hear some a few stories. Because mind you, you know, entrepreneurship didn't sound cool mm. back back in the day, you know. A few rich people in Nigeria were either massively doing something logistic every mm. or doing something just not fun, like banking. For me, I thought it was a very boring thing. I did counting money in a bank or something. Mm. Or Dangote was selling sugar and all that. So I just didn't get any, I didn't see a, a like a role model. When I was small entrepreneurship, it just looked like a boring thing. Um, so yeah, that was it. At the very earliest stages of my life, I never thought of I wow. never thought that would be <laughs> so so in speaking about rumor because you just mentioned rumor there was like you know, usually as a child, the first rumor that you have is your parents, right? So did you were they into business? Did you get like any inspiration? No inspiration whatsoever from them, like what were they into? Yeah, my my dad is a pastor, oh. and mo- my mom was a pastor as well, mm. and she was also a banker. Mm. And growing up, entrepreneurship. My mom did entrepreneurship, but as a side or mm. So there were times when the I think the idea of entrepreneurship was that, you know, if you are doing something, then you now have this little thing by the side where, you know, you would used to augment your income from, you know, other things that you were doing properly. Mm. And that was what I saw, you know, as an entrepreneur. So we had a poultry. We had a poultry and she also had a, a, a shop. So mm. those were just side gigs. Um, besides what she was actually, she was actually a pastor. She did banking. 
worked mm. in First Bank. Mm. And then she, she left First Bank to focus on full-time pastoring. Um, my parents are actually uh, foster pastors, uh, senior pastors. So they just do it. They just did it full time, right? Mm. So did I see any entrepreneurship? Um, see the role model within, but maybe not, but mm. in the sense of it. But they, but they were both entrepreneurial. My dad, I mean, always you know would write books, and in the sense that's entrepreneurship and. In different forms than the way, you know, I wanted the sort of like the stereotypical way I wanted it to be, mm. but yeah, in a sense we did, but not as I said, not in the way that you know everybody recognizes it to mm. be. Mm. But what about your siblings? Yeah, my siblings are all entrepreneurs. At, right at one point, every single yeah. person. Yeah. Eligible. Yeah. Although one of my sisters, I don't know, I won't say she's super, super an entrepreneur in the sort of like the, which which way would I put it? In the conventional way. But again, entrepreneurship is not just about, you know, being, um, employing people, it's mm. being self-employed is entrepreneurship as well. So mm. um, my brother is clearly an entrepreneur. He's a pastor and an entrepreneur. My sister, my first sister, mm. is an entrepreneur. She runs a beauty um, business. You know, she makes jewelries and all that. So, mm. clearly. In fact, at the point she had, which she employed, so I saw her clearly as an entrepreneur. Wow. My second sister used to run a food business in a very cook from home, blogging and all. Again, that's entrepreneurship. Mm. But again, not in the conventional way that you see it, right? So, yeah, everybody in my family, starting from my dad down to mm. myself, um, mm. one way or the other, we've been entrepreneurs, mm. whether either conventionally or, you know, in the unconventional format. Yeah. Interesting. You said something about your high school mm. and how things changed from high school. Mm. So, you know, tell us about that high school to college or secondary school to university transition and how that influenced you towards entrepreneurship. So, um, I've always been sort of like a, I don't know, weird guy in this <laughs> because then I, I would not do what everybody else was doing. Um, okay. In my high school, we had this thing called Kings and Queens tests. That is weekly tests. Every week we had tests on every subject we took. Wow. And then the highest scoring people would be announced on the assembly as the kings <laughs> or queens of that week. Please, what's it for your secondary school? <laughs> the Ambassadors College. Are you serious? Like the one in um Open State, I believe. Yes, yes. yes. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm hearing like that. <laughs> so that would require you to read every week if you wanted to become a king or a queen. And the thing about me was that I just never ever participated in that thing. <laughs> I would <laughs> I would usually be just mid-range, maybe 60 something, 70. 
70 percent. That's all. You wouldn't find me scoring 90, 80. Nah. <laughs> Those Why? Like, could you do it? But you just said, you know, let me exactly. That, that's that's the point. Why? <laughs> because I would never be found reading for the Kings and Queens test. How? I had other. I thought I had other more important things to do, like writing something, you know, thinking of something else, reading complete spots. Just I had so many other things. So I, I was just like in my own world. And it really was until, you know, when we did jump and work and when my result, I had the best jump results for my school. Wow. Um, yeah. And I had a very decent poetic result, mostly dis- distinctions. So that was the only time I actually read for something, right? Um, but it just, I sort of like had this behavior of, let's say, independence from yeah. what's the norm or what we have been advised to do. I'm yeah. saying it in a, euphem- in a euphemism. Maybe somebody has to say I was like a bad, bad egg or something. I wouldn't say that. <laughs> But in in a nice way, I was just not going to do what everybody was doing, Sha, because I had this incredible ability to take things, I won't say for granted, but it just it just doesn't scare me. That I remember when my jump, when we did jump, mm. and at the center I did it, my result never came out in my school. My result and my friend's result, who's a chef today, mm-hmm. where we're just withheld for like a week or two. Wow. Everybody had seen their results, and everybody was normal. They were scared for me. Everybody was ah, they were always calling me hey, and I was like, it will come out, man. I was so calm, and <laughs> it was just so annoying to people. Like, what kind of stupid confidence is this guy? So, all those are little traits that just sort of spurred me into when I when I got out of school, um, high school, I, I, I started writing actually for a sports company called Pepsi. Mm. This little company based in the in the UK actually. Mm. And they they paid me with data. So at this time I had a Blackberry phone. I had forced my dad to buy me one. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I couldn't afford to pay I said I'm gonna beg my dad, right, for money <laughs> to keep paying. This thing called BIS was was kind of like costly for me at least at the time. Mm. And so my dad was like, I bought you the phone, that's it. It's, you have to find a way to subscribe to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I the company paid me in data. Mm. Right. They paid for my weekly data. So that was that was all, all I made from it. So it was then I thought, why don't I start my own blog? I mean, mm. I read about Linda Ikeji. So I think, the, uh, as little as it sounds, Linda Ikeji must be one of the little people that sort of influenced me into, you know, moving there in that direction of entrepreneurship. Because at the time, everybody was just talking about blogging, blogging. And they said she was making some money. I was like, ah, mad. In a little way, mm-hmm. however you, you, you see it, there was a bit of Linda KG in influencing how, you know, I moved in the direction of entrepreneurship because um, she was a successful blogger and there was a generation of people that wanted to be bloggers. Mm. 
because Linda Ikeji had succeeded at it. And at this time, it wasn't really popular to be an Instagram influencer. <laughs> it just was blogging, right? If you yeah. wanted to be an independent content creator, mm. you would be a blogger at mm-hmm. the time. So I, I think I tried that, but it flopped. But then it was really when I started listening to Samadien. You know Pastor Samadien? Yes, yes. I do that know. I began to know much more actively that I would like to be an entrepreneur. Because mm. he used to do entrepreneurship classes mm. in, you know, 2011. And <clears throat> he began to explain, okay, entrepreneurship, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, wow. So it was at that point that then I think I read a few books. Some of those books were extreme. I wouldn't, <laughs> I, I think I mean, I've evolved. I think books like um, Richard Poddard, mm. um, um, Robert Kiyosaki's books. Yeah. And all, I just, I think it just really put me in the direction of, look, I want to be an entrepreneur. So mm-hmm. I began to think I would be an entrepreneur before I actually started like a conventional business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that thing you said about blogging is so true. I think I even opened like blog that <laughs> so popular. Blog. And it just was that she was making millions from ads. And so people were like, oh, we need to get a blog, we put ads and they make money. <laughs> I need to go and check if my blog still exists. It's something blogspot.com. Yeah, everybody has blogspot. We all wanted to be the next in the kitchen. <laughs> but it's crazy, right? That now the world has actually changed in the direction of, oh, being an Instagram influencer. Who knows what tomorrow's, <laughs> you know, big job big it won't be. Exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. So, I mean, you had this... um. Samadhi Miss uh, had access to Samadhi Miss classes. Was it like physical classes that you'd like attend? You pay money, but you go all the way. Was it like an intentional thing, or was it something that you stumbled into and you just had access to like attending his classes? So I think I first started by attending Desta. It was very random, you know. Um, and then I so. I, at this point, I think 2011, I got this iPad. Mm. Right? Uh, you know, I was always gadgets freak, uh, a gadget freak. Mm. And I was always having gadgets ahead of my, so like my age range people. Mm-hmm. So I was the guy that had the iPad first. Like everybody was like, ah, Madu, because I would pressure my parents. <laughs> I think they wanted to buy me this laptop. I said, no, I don't want laptop. I want iPad. <laughs> so I, got, I got it one way or the other. And I remember that most of the audio I had in that was just somebody. Yeah. I'd gone to this place where I think there's something called what what is what we call Zender now. It used to be called something, maybe transfer something. I forget what it was. I had this because mm-hmm. and then I just stored a lot of somebody and me messages. And then I used to go to I used to do entrepreneurship classes. Mm-hmm. There's the time you used to do before before Sunday service. So mm-hmm. at the beginning of Sunday morning, you would do class in entrepreneurship. Some of those recordings, I had them in my iPad. I would mm-hmm. listen to them. I subscribed to everything, anything, everything. And <laughs> and then it just went on like that. And then I kept reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of, it has, it has a program, Success Power, mm-hmm. as well. So all those things, I was just, I just immersed myself. I was, 
fully summer DMing inclined at that period of my life, to be frank. Mm. And it really helped. It really helped. So, so now you had learned how, what was your first impression of this entrepreneurship thing that you got yourself into? I'm even much more curious about like university. If that was where you expressed this entrepreneurship thing, what school you went to? Yeah, I did. I expressed it a bit in school. I went to Union Lag, by the way. Mm. And I sold a few things. Um, not really, but I used some of the knowledge I had about a few things to make make some money. Mm. So, for example, as I said earlier, I was usually the guy that would go ahead of people in terms of gadgets. So, I was just in school my first year when I had my iPad. So it meant people thought that I knew more about gadgets <laughs> than them, <laughs> which led me to a point where I actually helped people to buy gadgets. So they would want to buy something and they would just think, let's talk to Bolu. Maybe he's going to help them. And then I began to make some money. So if it is, you know, if it's, if it's 30, 30K, I just had 4K on top of 5K. It's 35K. So that little change on top was mine. And that kind of like is entrepreneurship, right? That that was the first profitable business I I did. I I must have bought and sold quite a number of iPads, particularly iPads. Mm -hmm. And I even created an Instagram page for it later on. Are you serious? Yeah. Because... That was the first time I saw profit. So I I tried branding some businesses, trying to, but I never used to make money, right? It was just name, name, name. But this one, I started seeing money before I said I had a name for it because this was clean. Like, okay, give me money. I'll go and buy you an iPad in Computer Village. The margin on top, I'll negotiate the price down. Mm-hmm. The margin on top was for me. That's all. I, I remember I made. I remember a deal I made twelve thousand from mm-hmm. at the time that was a lot of like profit to make. Like nobody gave me, it was just me, my doing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that 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 was that was sort of how I tra- transitioned into so when I saw the margins, I was like, this looks cool. Um I was still writing yeah, I wrote for for a while. For for sports as well. I just was doing a lot. Uh, I think that, that was me. My hands were on just a lot of things. Mm. There was just no way to sort of like find, was it like connect everything? It was just cut out. It was cut mm. out. But at least everybody knew that I was a bit of a resourceful guy and you can get, I can get stuff done, Sha, in a way, one way or the other. <laughs> I mean, you said something about um, you had other brands that, I mean, you were coming up with other names or ideas, but not seeing money coming out from it. Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give examples. I should give examples. Uh, <laughs> I started a media company. Um, the idea was to shoot videos for Facebook. When Facebook videos became a like a more lengthy thing mm. i wanted to start a like a podcast studio where i've been interviewing people mm. and 
there was this warehouse. <laughs> I couldn't even finish it because my dad had a warehouse um, in the house where we lived at the time and he wasn't using it. So I told him, can you let me use it? He was like, do I even have the money to even... So I think I had like 40 grand. I should have started something, cemented the floor and that was it. <laughs> I lost all my money. I started, I, I, I don't know, another one, somewhere charity, somewhere attempted businesses. I just know that none of them exactly saw the light, the like daylight. They were just, I started everything as a Facebook page, right? That's me. If I start a brand, I'll quickly get a Facebook page for it. <laughs> <laughs> and they just died. They, they never probably never had a customer some never made a dime it was just like that you know but i you know that moment of uh, exuberance where you mm-hmm. just started a lot of things I, I, even some it took me some to like research to remember like wow sometimes i look at when i check back i'm like well so i started this wow <laughs> it didn't even, even take off oh my god okay you went I mean that thing you said about Instagram food. I think almost, almost there's. I think they're like maybe if Instagram followers or Instagram pages are maybe a million. I'm sure two hundred thousand is just empty zero followers business pages that people created <laughs> when they thought them an idea. Quickly go and own that thing, and then after two years you come back and it's still, it's still um coming soon. You know, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. Like that's first excitement that you get when you have a, like an idea so now you had this business going for you i'm sure you were doing this to like maybe like the end of your uni i don't know so what now what happened after uni because i usually after uni is you get into the real world you know start looking for a job get yourself into a corporate firm was that what happened to you no that's not what happened to me <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so quick one before we get back into the story. I know you're already having like a great time and I'm really sorry for breaking that flow. But I need to let you guys know about something um, that will be happening very soon. And that is for every single um, um, season, we're going to have an expert to come talk to us. And, and here's why. Uh, you know, listening to the stories is really amazing. It's inspiring. There are so many lessons and tips that you can actually take home. But I understand, you know, being a startup advisor, that there is a need for practical steps, you know, frameworks, models and systems that can be taken, you know, and applied to specific situations so that we can resolve problems that, that you know, pop up, similar problems that pop up uh, amongst uh, most early stage startup founders. And so, you know, I found um, that there is a need to bring in that expert opinion. So this means that for every season, the last episode of every season would be me sitting down with an expert and we'll just be looking at similarities in the lessons and the stories of the founders that we've interviewed for that season. And that means that you get to take home as a founder, practical principles, books, you know, processes, courses that you can also take advantage of, things that you can apply to a specific situation. For example, calculating valuation. Yes, you've probably heard some of these founders talk about valuation, but they won't they won't talk about it in very detailed form because I mean we're telling a story. But that 
that expert session is supposed to help break down those things into things that you can apply specifically so guys stay tuned to the last episode of this season and yes we'll be wrap- rounding up the season very soon i just have you know just one or two stories left for this season and then we'll be done we'll be back um with the expert session so stay stay tuned guys stay tuned i didn't have a, a particularly uh, normal pathway right um it was i think i i was walking from i'm gonna buy something i went to a place and i was coming back and i saw two books you know they were selling the books in traffic one was how they started digital that's the name i still have it in Mm. my house till date the second one was how they started global brands. Mm. The, the how they started digital is a green, green book. The how they started global brands. It's an orange book. Both of them were written by the same person, mm. but it just sort of like spotlighted, um, d- separated digital brands from so like other types of businesses. Mm. So I started reading the book how they started digital. And wow, that was when I began to understand what the business of tech was, what tech was. You know, at the time I thought maybe someone like Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook in, in their dorm room and I actually thought he was the only one running Facebook. Maybe he had a PA and another person. Like I never knew that there was something like, you know, series you know funding angel investors mm-hmm. uh series a series b mm-hmm. i know i knew zuckerberg was the richest was one of the richest men uh mm-hmm. it was getting it was youngest sorry youngest billionaire at the time um it was worth i think 12 billion or less at the time but the impression we had or i had was that it was just some guy walking behind some small house somewhere in San Francisco. So that book gave me clarity on everything, how startups start, that they have many staff members, people running things. It's actually a corporation now. And, you know, I saw the, I think, acquisition of PayPal by eBay. It was written in the book, Mm -hmm. um, how Twitter started, and several companies. I think that was the point where I thought, Hmm. this tech thing looks cool. You know, at first, of course, the most interesting thing was that it was a very, it's a space where there was a lot of money. I think that was what I picked from the book. But not long after, I began to realize, you know, that the money was not like like going to just be that quick. You know, those books were summaries of the Hmm. the journey. They they didn't give every single sort of like highlights of, how stressful, how difficult the work was. It just made it look like Zuckerberg started today, he raised money tomorrow, he grew, it, you know, and became a billionaire. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was that easy. So, but but that's the thing about sort of like um, motivational stuff. Mm. They don't tell you everything, but at least they inspire you enough mm. to to get to action. So, 
I think I read also global brands. I read about how Nike started, Adidas. I read about KFC. I read about I read about the, most of the biggest brands. You know, they were in those books, these stories. And so I just thought maybe I could also build a big brand someday. Um, again, from the motivational perspective, not knowing exactly what it would take. That <laughs> because, and then of course, then I started a company called Pinfoot um, around 2015, actually. So okay. that was the first tech company. That was that's that would be eight years ago now, Abby. Yeah. And then you know I collaborated with some some of my friends who were engineers and we were designers, and we built a product. The idea was it was supposed to be a platform for football fans. So pretty much Twitter, Facebook combined for football, just for football fans. That was the, the concept. It didn't really take off. The thing never really took off, to be honest. Um, we did get some, some media, some attention, um, a bit of funding, but unfortunately it didn't take off and we sort of failed at doing it. But the thing I always say is there's actually nothing really like failure per se when you attempt entrepreneurship. It's just lessons, right? Yeah. And I remember that on one of those, during that, um, while I was building that startup, we won a, a sponsorship to travel to Dubai for um, what is it? Jitex, yeah, the uh, biggest tech conference here. Yeah? And I remember that the stipend that I was given for that was about eight hundred dollars or nine hundred dollars. At what time it was three hundred something naira to a, to a dollar mm. or thereabouts. So I remember. You know, I didn't spend most of it. I just brought the money back because I had a small cash. I thought, what was I going to eat with all that money <laughs> at that stage? So I brought back the money into Nigeria. At this point, the the tech company we were running was not taking off. But then, some of the training I did as a digital marketing person, I did. I done Facebook Blueprint. Yeah. While while we were in Dubai, we took some some classes with the Facebook. There was a Facebook team there and there was they had they have a place in Dubai called Silicon Oasis. Mm. So I'm taking classes. I began to realize that what I knew about Facebook ads and all many people back home did not know so mm. came back because I had some money. Not a lot of money in real sense, but at least to mm. me it was I, I knew I could attempt something and fail. Mm. So I I remember doing a seminar. Wow. <laughs> seminar. Now, this is a very interesting part of my story because I just thought to myself, if the seminar does not go well, I have a little money, right? I'm going to try and waste like 100K. That's mm -hmm. nice. 100,000 naira. Let's assume the thing didn't go well. I can lose that money. I'll just carry my... Then to sort of like de-risk the event, you know what I did? Yeah. I My sister is a chef. 
So I asked, I asked her to cook for everybody who was going to come for the event. So let's assume what I was going to be saying in our teaching was going to be complete because they would eat. <laughs> and <laughs> if, they, if they would eat, there's no way the program would, would have been rubbish because food solves the problem for people. <laughs> so, and it was a paid event, right? They paid, I think, 7000 per person. Wow. Yeah, and it will blow your mind about... 31 people showed up. I still have the pictures. Are you kidding me? I'm telling you, 31 people showed up, man. From where? From where? God knows, man. They came. They... I'm like, wow. I actually put out the advert on Facebook, right? It was a Facebook advert telling people that this advert that I did, I could teach them how to do this advert. And 31 yeah. of them showed up. They paid. And I cooked food, so so I just thought whatever I knew, and my sister did a marvelous job at serving them food. So at the end of the this thing, someone came to meet me and said, Can I get the tapes, the CDs from it? I'm like, CDs? Like, what do you mean? Like, this was just an experiment. I didn't say to the person, I just pretended, I don't worry, I'll get back to you. But in my mind, I was like, I don't even I was not even sure that this would be a success. I mean, you think I would have recorded it? There's no way on earth I recorded that. So, but it gave me an idea that, wow, so I could actually just do recordings in my next seminar. Hmm. So, the next time I did it, the audience and the people that were coming, it actually dropped to 22, hmm. not 31. Hmm. But I had recordings, right? Hmm. That one. And then, I think three people got it afterwards. I said, would they be willing to pay extra money to buy the recording? Yes. So they paid. So that gave me a bigger picture of, with, instead of doing seminars, seminars are very difficult to plan, right? Mm -hmm. You plan, venue, this. At the end of the day, yes, you make money, but it's, it's on a single day. So what can I do? Mm -hmm. Now we're talking away from Pinfoot at this point, that startup had failed. Mm. So this was my new hustle. And so I then started recording um, Facebook training mm. in audio format, in video format, in PDFs. And I, I would combine them together as a course. Wow. And I would sell them, you know, on Facebook. Um, and that was where, you know, I, I could say I did something that was pretty decent that was i don't know the average nigerian or nigerian motivational speaker would say that was my break <laughs> <laughs> even though i don't know if there was it was a break per se but i think i had like fifteen thousand people who bought it eventually it was thousand thousand yeah it was huge how, how much was it how much was you know the quality? it was just like three thousand three thousand mm. Yeah, to subscribe into it. So, like, uh, videos where? Where did you put them? What platform? So like, has, there's a cloud platform where you can access and you can download. I didn't use any. I didn't use Seller. I didn't use. So, there were two formats. You know, Vimeo. Yes. And you know, WeTransfer. Yes. WeTransfer Pro. So I used those. So I would store the all the content and they could download or watch depends on what type of um, 
person you were. So okay. some people wanted to just watch and not download into their phones if they have enough data. But Nigerians, so it was a one-time download. I would explain to them that they would have to download. It was pretty, pretty crude, especially because I knew that people were not going to type in their card details. At the time, it was transfers we used. So they would pay, pay transfer and they would get access to a link. I tried, you know, doing this auto, super automated system, you know, where like all these American guys now, they just go to a landing page, they just, and it, it, it didn't work at the time. And also payment was not at the, payment is a lot easier now. Mm-hmm. At this point, you know, I think Paystack had just started. So they were not also that sophisticated. There was no Flutterway. Flutterway had not started. All right. So at the time, um, people paying with their cards online was a bit not so well adopted. Mm-hmm. Um, from a consumer standpoint, because of course transfers was the thing, and so that was the way we went, you know. Because a lot of people did in America and all that, you know, they had courses where you just type in your card details and just pay, mm-hmm. but it wasn't happening at that scale in Nigeria. Remember this time, that was a lot of years ago, and. Mm-hmm. There was not even Flutterwave at the time. Mm. Just, you know, there was InterSwitch and then there was Paystack. And Paystack didn't have a transfer option at that time. So if you're going to do that level of consumer sort of like cost, mm-hmm. you have to figure out um, how you're going to collect the money. And for mm. us, for me, it was just transfers. I'll take transfers, then we'll send you a link. Mm. access link to go and get the course and it was over a couple of years though um, mm. it wasn't like it happened for from up, up until 2019 thereabouts so that's like four years yeah for, it took four years I, I, the, the 15,000 took a long time to happen it seems like a lot but if you if you sort of break it down mm-hmm. then you would see how long it took for me, that was just my full time also for that period. But then the, the good part was some of the people that bought the course, you know, some of them, you know, then had me, you know, consult for them or mm-hmm. work for them. So I worked with a few people, you know, sometimes we built digital marketing processes. Mm-hmm. I had like eight major companies that were my clients mm-hmm. and all that. So that was just an in a sense, an accidental business. <laughs> because I I mean, I'd gone for something else and what I was trying to do had flops. Mm-hmm. Then somehow I had to switch to this and it just stayed. It was consistently profitable wow. for, for years. And then, you know, I just found myself imagining I mean, I found myself, you know, being immersed in in that space a little more. And also, I mean, till today, I'm pretty well you know, known for or as that by many. 
instead mm. of you know what I do now. Mm. Which which is quite interesting because I would say at that time you're already doing remote work because <laughs> I, I'm very curious to what your parents are thinking. You know, yeah. every person was you know in the absolutely operate. How did you manage? Were you working from like your father's house, and then were you getting backlashes? Yeah, I like to talk about what my parents were thinking and what people around me were thinking, right? Mm-hmm. Because the average human being was supposed to wake up, take a shower, dress up, and go to somewhere called work. And <laughs> I wasn't for a long time. I wasn't. And for a good part of this period, I was living with my parents. So it was completely necessary. I mean, it's very, it's very necessary that I talk about it. So at the early stages, it wasn't quite obvious whether I was earning or not. It just, they just didn't know what I was doing. They knew I was doing this digital marketing stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It didn't fully make sense, I think. But then I remember that I, I think I bought, I bought a phone. I think it was an iPhone, maybe, I don't know. I don't know when iPhone, is it X, XS Max or something? Mm-hmm. I don't know which of them it was, but then they had the price of the phone. I think I was <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I joke with people. I said, I used to say, Nigerians don't really care what you're doing. If you can show the results of it, <laughs> that's when they will not start respecting you. And then I got a car the year after. <laughs> I think it was at the point I got a car that it became clear that okay, whatever he's doing in the house makes sense. And they started calling me CEO. And my dad would joke. <laughs> my dad would joke to say, since you work in my house, you're going to have to be paying me taxes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think it was it was really then that you know they just started, they just okay, I'll see you. But up until then, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure he was confused that what 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 was this, what is this guy doing? Everybody was confused. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm I'm trying to wonder how you know that cost you know give you enough money to buy a car, you know, and an iPhone X at that time. Few things that made it a very very profitable venture. One, it's it, normally supposed to just be like retail because mm-hmm. I was selling. For money but this was retail without inventory so mm-hmm. if i was selling chairs i had to buy the chairs first then sell and then my margin on top of the chairs would be my profit but in this case i was selling knowledge software mm-hmm. the only cost was the time it took me to record and to create the cost after that every day was just a day of retail then after a few months, I would update the process because Facebook is very dynamic and, you know, social media is very dynamic. Mm-hmm. So you can't keep selling old stuff. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, some of the old people that bought the last time would come back for the new one. And, you know, they just saw me as someone to stick with. Mm-hmm. Again, at this period of the internet, there were more fake people than they were real and i wouldn't say my my course was it, it was really good but mm. i think the biggest usp was that i was accessible and i was genuine so 
most time when people bought you know courses online again a lot of things have changed you know the world is much better now but at the time it was that most of them would not even deliver anything they would just run away with money the ones that did will copy and paste from some site somewhere on the internet so just the fact that i was giving them like what i said was already enough for them to trust me some of them bought the course just to know whether i could then help them do it so they would say let me first buy the course and when they are when they were done they'll say okay please i want you to come and train the people in my staff their real goal was bigger but they just wanted to use that as a so like a funnel, a check mm-hmm. as to whether this person is legit. So, yeah, they, were, they definitely the maths was clear. Retail without uh, overhead costs, without inventory, any day, any time, that's a big business. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. So now you were doing this thing for four years. What happened? I mean, you're not doing that now. So when did it open? Okay, so it took me a while to stop. Um, but then I met my my co-founder and I started a company called Stomia. So that was when I made the shift. So obviously I met my co-founder and he had started building a company called Stomia. Now this company, you know, it was just like Shopify, but for, for Nigerians. That is... It was a single mobile app, and from there you could build your shopping website. Mm. And this guy had built everything, you know, with Facebook, Facebook Pixels. And Facebook Pixels is one of the ways you can track advertising. You know, mm. Facebook it was something I was teaching for the years before I met this. Mm. And then when I met him, he had everything, the suites, whereby you start, start your shop, you can even buy a domain and then you can track it when you run a Facebook advert. Also yeah. complementary with what I was doing. So I jumped on it um, as a co-founder and then it was still related, but I was no longer selling the courses. Mm-hmm. Instead, I was pushing my so like a, our startup. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did some of my, of course, very easy for me. I had a mailing list of everybody that bought my course. It was mm-hmm. a large mailing list, I still do. And so I was able to sort of resell this new product, this new startup to them. Mm-hmm. And it did well, it did quite well. Um, although we learned again, you know, the same thing where we talked about Nigerians not, not you know, willing to put their card details and all that. It, it sort of like showed up again. It, it proved my thesis, mm-hmm. but we did Quite well. We had onboarded quite a few customers, thousands, a few thousand customers, not mm-hmm. nearly as much as my mailing list. But mm-hmm. the year and a half after, the company was acquired wow. by, by a company called Our Pass. Our Pass? Like the Our Pass? Yeah, yeah Our Pass acquired Stomia from us. Wow. You wanna, you want to share more details about the amount? <laughs> I think we have a, we have a, a no non disclosure, yeah. but it was an amount that made us to sell. So you get, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, it was good. It was good. So, Just to give you perspective, all the money it cost us to run the company, mm-hmm. the time we ran, was definitely incredibly smaller than how much it was acquired for. So we we sold at a very good profit, and we didn't we didn't get investors. Mm-hmm. We myself mm-hmm. and my co-founder, mm-hmm. so like had the re- not a lot of resources. But we, we we were able to run it, you know, and then at acquisition it was good for us. Mm. So how long were you doing for? Did you guys already have, have like staff, office space, or what? Oh yes, we did. We did. We did. We were running a company. We're not, we're not a large team, but mm. we we had how many staff? One, two staff members. One, two, three, four. We're a team of like I don't know, eight maybe, mm. seven, mm. eight. Yeah. And m- many of them are still with us. Some of them are still with us till date. Wow. Yeah. So same, it seems like... same designer, same designer from then, same mm-hmm. front end guy from then, same co-founders, <laughs> same customer care. <laughs> so it's just rinse and repeat. Same team actually, but we added a few people and some other people left. Hmm. So Stomia and Stomia was for how long? Two years. For me, about one and a half years. For him? For him, he had started before I joined. He was just the only one. It was just his project. Mm-hmm. It was actually his side project. In fact, if I give, give you a bit of perspective, yeah, his, his, girl, his, his then-girlfriend, fiance, who is now married to, <laughs> was... She actually runs, you know, a clothing business. Mm. And so she wanted, to, she wanted him to do a website for her. And so he was like, oh, why don't I create an app for you? He was just messing with things because he was an engineer. I mean, he's an engineer. So, of course, that kind of flex can only come from people that can do that. <laughs> so then he built the entire app and then allowed her to be able to do it. And she was his first customer. Wow. Then he just, of course, while he was building the, the app, of course, he figured that he could sort of like, um, allow more people use it, mm. and then so that was just how that was how I started from for him. It was as simple as that, just because of one person. Mm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. So you guys had made all the money in the world, maybe even before that. I think, how did you meet your co-founder? Was it like you some meet your friends or friends? Yeah, we are we are friends from way back. I'm curious now. You guys have made all. You guys have basically boxed up now. Just got acquired. Plenty of money. Well, I was boxed up. I don't know. <laughs> Are we boxed up? <laughs> so I so think it's relative. That... It's relative, I guess. Did we have a lot of money? Honestly, we. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that we personally took money. It's oh. not. I don't think so. We did not personally take a lot of money from the company. So what we did was we started another company and then we started Tribe So mm-hmm. if you look at if you look at it, we just were the investors in ourselves again and again. Because <laughs> the acquisition, you know, and all those factors helped us to be able to. Uh, of course, we have, we have a friend that also invested, but mm. those were the things that formed the foundation of our company. So, but we did get some cash to be to be fair, mm-hmm. and that was why, of course, for a long time we didn't take salaries mm-hmm. after after the acquisition. 
you know, like a year plus, we didn't take salaries. Mm. And we kept working. But again, it was not that super duper acquisition, but it was a decent, I think a, a, a very good acquisition that made us decent. That's mm. all I can say. <laughs> so, so, so at that time, because I'm wondering if somebody should get acquired, most times they just want to just chill, maybe for like six months. But you guys decided to go and start another company. So I'm wondering what was the motivation for this new company that you guys started? Okay, so we, we've, part of why we, we sold was, of course, the acquisition was an, an acquisition was an acquisition. Mm-hmm. And the offer was decent and all that. So, but the desire to keep running the company, you mm. know, was something we had. Um, and then, of course, we knew that we had learned a lot from running that. And we had two options, which mm. eventually is, is Tribal Pay today. Mm. At the end of it, so we sat together and we said, there's something called slip blindness, by the way. What? By slip blindness. It's okay. a phrase by foreground let me just describe it and then mm-hmm. bring the perspective Schlepp blindness is when you are doing something maybe you're trying to achieve a goal yes between now between here and goal you would face some challenges mm-hmm. now each challenge you face is a potential business that you chose to overlook because mm-hmm of the business you are pursuing. So, for example, mm. when I was selling courses, payment was definitely an issue, right? Mm-hmm. For me, but I didn't give, I didn't care about it. I focused on the, the thing I was selling. Mm-hmm. That's called schlep blindness. Mm. To look away from a potential, a problem that you could solve because you have another problem you are trying to solve. And we all do it. We all, for example, in making this podcast, we've had, we could have had network issues. Mm. Fact that there, there was network issue means there's an opportunity to, for someone to sort of build better infra- network infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But me or you may not solve that because we are blind to that. That's mm. not the business we are trying to do. We're trying to do the podcast. Um, so there are many, many, many things that we overlook every day because there's something else we are pursuing. So it was then we now sat down and said, while we were pursuing Stomia, we overlooked so many problems. Mm-hmm. Then I wrote all the problems that I saw and he wrote all the problems that he saw. We agreed to experiment with one or two or three of the problems. Mm-hmm. And again, Thankfully, we had a little, some resources to try and experiment. And so our next company was not exactly founded on much other than just an experiment. But, okay, mm-hmm. so one of the problems we saw, you know, the company was Tambos. Mm-hmm. So the problem was simple. People were creating um, sites on Stormia. Mm. But people said the most important thing to them was actually sales, not mm-hmm. a website mm-hmm. and all that. So we said, how can we build structures to actually increase people's sales? I have, I have a good background in marketing. I have students. 
and we can just sort of like revisit those same that same audience that same niche mm-hmm. by creating something so we went and we actually built a few stuff um for for small businesses we of course we went back to courses i did courses again mm-hmm. but just more packaged this time around mm-hmm. um, we allowed people to be able to hire you know people so mm-hmm. one of the issues of marketing was that people didn't have the expertise to do the, the uh, marketing themselves so we allowed them to be able to hire someone on a platform mm-hmm. yeah so we did quite some some stuff you know like we're getting billboards radio stations, influencers, and all that. Mm. And at the point, was it more of a B2B play? That is, bigger businesses. Um, and we had a few clients, uh, a few customers. Mm. Um, that was the immediate, you know, solution we, we focused on when we left, you know, Stormia, when we stopped doing Stormia. Mm. And, but, a payment solution was definitely um, something we were thinking of as well. It was definitely something we wrote down, um, both on a B2B level, but without being super connected, we also had a, an idea that, you know, payment still needs to be fixed. Um, and I think that's where we will eventually land in, in this conversation. <laughs> you guys already had clients. Why didn't you guys just stay there, you know, just building that and scaling that, increasing that. Why did tribe create had the sentiment yeah. that the the it was more like a traditional business, right? Mm-hmm. We had some big clients, and our sentiment was that it was more like a traditional business, mm-hmm. in that we didn't quite figure out how to disrupt the agencies as we would have loved to again it's still something i believe can be done but we're just like the agencies we got we got gigs but it was just still just like the agencies did it right you get a big client they can pay you a large amount of money but mm-hmm. how many of how many people can you sort of like do business with i think we wanted to to build something that would be used by i think thousands of people rather than a few big clients. I think mm-hmm. that, that was something that gave us some concern. But we, we did make, you know, we had some revenue. I think, I think apart from paying food, every other business, I was more like conscious of, can we generate something? And I think we, we, we did, but again, not as, as what I've, I've wanted. So my, mm-hmm. co-founder, my co-founder was particularly concerned uh, apart from myself, you know, we want to be a, a multi, I don't know, a startup that will be used by a lot of people. Mm. Just, it just didn't primarily buy the model where, you know, um, a few groups of people were using us. Um, that was part of the issues. Mm. So how did you guys make that shift from Stambos to Travel? So we're a very experimental group of people, to be honest. Um, I, I remember I talked about slept blindness before, right? Mm-hmm. And how we sat together and we drew a list of things that we could do next. Mm. And so payment was was there. 
and we just went went there was one morning when we were just gisting over a call and I said I said at this point we were still doing stambos and we just said why don't we you know try something out in payments and we had this very nice concepts of solutions and and it was like okay maybe you we can just do something so we, we didn't stop what we were doing mm-hmm. but it was a side gig because again when we were doing stambos it was more operational than tech mm-hmm. so most of the guys in the tech team had free time the designer was not exactly designing a lot of screens the micro founder you know the engineers were not writing so maybe they said we started messing with some fintech screens here and there and mm-hmm. just it was like a side project mm. but then it got more intense you know product thinking what will be our usp there's a lot of fintech companies what exactly are we are marrying on um are we going are we going consumer out are we going b2b route so as it got clearer we of course paid more attention to it mm-hmm. and began to reduce our projects projects we were taking for stambos just be- began to sort of shift our mind towards this payment uh, company that we did. Uh, interestingly you are one of the people that knew about it early on i guess <laughs> so yeah and then we launched it interesting fact today yeah. makes it exactly six months that we wow. launched exactly today's our sixth month wow. anniversary yeah, interesting. <laughs> and we happen to be a podcast I mean, on so what a perfect day for this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, you guys, you scaled <laughs> so fast. I mean, one might say one might attribute to the fact that you guys had marketing experience, but do you think it was really the marketing that made you guys blow up so fast? Like how many users do you have now as of today? Yeah, over thirty I don't know. As of today, depends on as of the moment because we grow every every <laughs> minute. <laughs> to be frank, I'm not even happy in it. But in the thirty thousand range, right? Wow, wow. So we've, like we've what? processed um over one hundred and maybe one hundred forty something or one hundred fifty something thousand transactions in wow. that. Um, of course, millions of dollars. I think. Mm-hmm. Around eight million dollars or something. Wow. So, yeah, we, we've we've done a, a bit, right? Again, I think the first six months, is, as always, should should be experimental to sort of just validate. You know, mm-hmm. people talk about MVP, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. If if that this was our long MVP period, I think, I think it was a huge success personally. Mm-hmm. So what? Because obviously you mentioned the fact that there are a lot of fintech companies. So mm. when you do this fintech space, they're like, okay, we want to enter inside. How are you guys going to stand out from the rest of the world? What were you guys pitching to the to, to Nigerians and to Africans? Yeah. So I don't know who your last guest was, but you said he said something. <laughs> yes. I buy it. And I'm sort of like going to re-echo it. Mm. So, in fact, now I know it more than I knew it six months ago. Yeah. It's that one. Although there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of players in fintech, uh, there's not so much 
um, new stuff going on at in the way so like groundbreaking revolutionary stuff mm-hmm. um many may, there's some maybe like a pareto principle 20 percent 80 mm-hmm. only about 20 percent of companies create the major changes 80 mm-hmm. just in you know take them use them as infrastructure and continue to co- to market to consumers mm-hmm. so it's saturated but not solved um I, I, I work with data because at this time when we were starting therapy, I was no longer, you know, a first time founder or a second yeah. founder. At this point, I knew what market research was from yeah. first understanding it as a larger perspective, then drilling down to myself. So the first thing I found was one, there are about 57 million BVNs mm. in Nigeria. Uh, there are about 57 million. And less than 20 million of those people with BBNs use fintech companies. So everybody talks about banking the unbanked, but my own focus at first was the banks, to be honest. <laughs> because those were the, those are those are people that are ready or that are ready. And the question is why a lot of Nigerians want to go to fiscal banks? Why, why are they not adopting, you know, technologically, um, technological means of trans, uh, transactions? CBN wants to do a cashless policy and all that. So one of the in consumer products was, there was just repetition. Mm. Um, there were no value-added services. I call them VAS. That is... If people came into an app for another reason and then they met what sort of like digital banking looks like, um, maybe they would try it. That was my thesis from the consumer side. There were two, there are two sides, and I'm going to touch on the two sides. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if I went to picture someone that they could bank online, mm-hmm. Maybe they wouldn't agree with me. Maybe they would not try it because market is a bit can be a bit dogmatic. People can be a bit dogmatic. But if you tell yeah. someone that they can convert their airtime mm-hmm. and get cash, mm-hmm. then they would try it. Hey, 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 let me just quickly jump in here to interrupt this amazing story. I know, I know, don't worry, I'll be out of here in no time. (laughs) Just wanted to let you know that you can follow me on all social media platforms. And here's why, beyond startup stories, I do a little bit of startup education, just talking about things that um, startup founders need to be acquainted with. For example, investments, how does that work? What does it mean to build a team? What are the minds? What is the most important thing you need to have in mind while building a startup, right? And many more. So feel free to follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, same name, Cynthia Ichison. All right, let's get back into the story. Cheers. So we built Tribe Pay to be at the base of it, like a banking app, mm-hmm. 
but with value-added services here and there that people can opt in for. Mm. They will meet the full app and then they will realize, okay, let me just send money. Oh, you can, so you actually have a bank account. Okay. Many people had, have never tested online banking. Mm. That was my first realization. That as much as we say it's saturated, the vast majority of people have never used it. Mm. So if there are 210 million people in Nigeria, only most of 190 million people have never tried a digital bank, a digital wallet, a fintech app, all mm. the things we're talking about. So it means some of them are because it's because they are not banked. Some don't have mobile phones. Fine. I get it. What of those who have mobile phones and who are BBNs? Why, why is it that the majority of people with BBNs still don't use? It's because maybe they are not sold for the idea of banking. Maybe if there was another thing that they urgently needed to do mm. and made them to download an app, maybe then they would then look at it and say, okay, since I've already downloaded, maybe I should just keep trying it. And that is what. Mm. We have old people, older people that we sort of we onboarded that we're now asking, oh, I don't have to go to a bank. Okay, so you mean this account number? Okay, I can send money to it. Oh, wow, that's nice. That's very innovative. <laughs> and I, I was surprised because there are many, many apps that do those basics. But these people never bothered to check those apps because if it was if you go and market banking to so many people, they would just never answer. But if you market an immediate need, if you ever recharge your time and you want to convert it to cash, that, that app that can do it for you, you're going to download it now. And then you're going to complete the KYC. You're going to complete all the procedures that that's necessary. And then you will meet a bank at the end of it. Right? So that was the thesis we we used and then we built value-added services on top. And that worked. Right? We have um, a time to cash and travel pay. Cash pin, which I will still talk about much more in-depthly. And mm-hmm. then um, we have USD cards. You know, obviously you can't pay for foreign transactions. It's Nigerian cards, and yeah. you invest to twenty dollars now. It's it's gone worse. So again, if you desperately want to make a dollar payment, and you don't have any other option, you would likely download the app that can get you to do it, and then you will meet a bank. So on the consumer side, that was just you market mm-hmm. the needs, not yeah. Yeah. you know the idea that it's a bank. Because there's just many options in that regard. So, and we found people, you know, saving money with us. Um, people using us really? traditionally, people sending money, receiving money. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of transaction accounts, you know, on those normal levels, and it's it's really interesting. That's that's really incredible. I think the numbers for me is what's really shocking. 200, just 57 million people have BVMs in a, in a country of 200 million people. A lot Why? of work needs to be done in that regard. 
um, banking the unbanked. Some people have bank accounts, they don't have BVNs because there are different tiers on the CBN. So you can actually have a bank account with a BVN. Um, but there's a small amount you can do mm. until you get BVN. So there's a long way to go um, okay. in terms of getting us to be a country where most people you know, use a bank account. But mm. that's that's a long haul. But even on the short haul, which is those who are BVNs, mm. still the saturation we are talking about is just between say 15 million people. That's the real big issue. So there's still a lot of work to be done on the unbanked, the non-digital people. The market is still so large, so large. And that's that's a perspective people. And now I know, of course. Now I know even more. Having been in fintech, mm-hmm. and now I know one that the innovation so much to be solved. Yeah. We're going to do town hall today, by the way. And if you attend, you'll hear so many requests. Please, can you help us build this? Can you help us do this? There's still so much financial requests from consumers that have not even been fixed. So it's, the saturation is a fast. There's no saturation. There's so much to still be done. And I know first now. Mm. Oh, that's that's really interesting. So now, now that we're already here, let's talk about like a major, a major um advice, right? But before we even get to the advice part, what does the future look like for PrivaPay as a whole? Like ten years from now, do you think you'll be doing this? And if yes, what what would PrivaPay look like then? So we hope to have two major. Um, sides, um, our consumer product, which is what many people have seen now. Mm. But then we are working on, of course, on the business side. We're working on a major B two B product. Mm. Major, it's. I think it could be one of the most major solutions in Nigeria for a long time. In fact, we are talking with other stakeholders wow. to make it, you know. That major, to be frank, I, um, I don't want to say too much about it. Maybe on 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 here because of, but, but I definitely I could share more. But it's major because it's a type or is a system of payment, and transfer is a type of is a system of payment. Card payments is a system of payments, mm. and we're building. Another system of payment, not even an exclusive product for us, mm-hmm. something that will be adopted by all of fintech, all of banking. That's why I say it's going to be major. It's like crypto. Crypto payment is a system of payment, right? Mm-hmm. How about we build another system? Mm-hmm. And when a company builds a system of payment, one, you can't exclusively own it, right? You have to partner with the ecosystem. And that's where we are in, we're in talks with people in the ecosystem. So on the mm. business side, we are building something that's even bigger, you know, than what people think we are working on. Mm. On the consumer side, of course, we keep growing. Uh, we have also a lot of new products coming in on our roadmap. Mm-hmm. So in the short term, I, I don't like to think of travel in 10 years. 
I like to think of therapy in, in the next one year. Mm -hmm. Right. If we get it right in the next one year, then we'll definitely be on track for, for 10 years. Mm. But at the end of this year, or at least in the next six months, mm. the evolution of what we are building, if the first six months was sort of like a trial phase, you know, to just know, okay, is, is there validation? Is this a thing? Okay, where are we wrong? What can we improve on? Then you want to expect that the next six months would be with a little more finesse in mm -hmm. terms of having that feedback, having learned things. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like our focus now. Mm -hmm. um, how can we be more, you know, what word do I use? Better. Let me just say, how can we be better? Mm -hmm. In all, across all our product lines. Yeah. Based on our experience. Six months is a lot of experience. Mm -hmm. Especially if you run if you run a product every day. Mm -hmm. So we can't afford to be we had a downtime on the 30th of mm -hmm. December. That was our first downtime. Yeah. We got a ton of messages. That was the day I it occurred to me that we had been running every day for six months, no downtime. And that People's lives, you know, kind of dependent on it. People use this. Some people have all their money. Mm -hmm. They transact all their money here yeah, with us. And mm -hmm. that was the first day I saw the scale of impact of our work. Mm -hmm. And it just, it was like, wow, this is crazy. And for those hours that we were unable to, you know, process transactions, it, it just spoke to me more. And so, all that was a learning phase for six months. The next phase would be finesse and then, you know, killing it on our roadmaps. Of course, we have roadmaps. We have things that we've written but that we've not done. Mm. We have things that people have told us to do that we've not done. Mm. And we have things that people said we should not do again that we have not removed. So mm. these are the key things that we want to focus on over the next six months. Mm. And so I would rather talk about tribal pain six months where do we see ourselves or by the end of 2023? Mm. Uh, expect, mm. expect a lot, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited already. I'm excited already. Um, I'm actually quite curious about something. I think this would be like maybe the final question before we wrap. And it's really because I had a session with another fintech founder, um, founder co-founder of Google. Right, supposed to be go up here and supposed to bring in like a new payment um, using face ID. Um, mm. Just you, with your face, you can make payments anywhere, anytime, without having to carry around. And you know, one of one of the things we also looked at with the founder of my stash was finance fintech. Um, the numbers are very, very huge, but the revenue trickles down like it's like the what the revenue is just like droplets of water. Compared to the amount of transactions um, are being done, mm. the major concern is really about okay, we need to be able to raise funds to keep the business running. Mm -hmm. So for you guys, um, I don't know if you mentioned if you guys raised funds, so have you guys been able to sustain yourselves as a fintech startup. We we generate enough revenue to sustain. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think that many fintechs would say that. 
And again, that's another plus. And I think one, we definitely will look to raise, but as of today, we're actually a profitable company, which what? is not... Are you serious? We, we generate, we are cash flow positive. Again, very, very rare phrase from, from people. Yeah. I don't think that there are many tech companies that would say that. So to put it in, in context, that is we make more money than we spend. Mm. Or we make enough money to pay our bills and still have on top of it. That's a fact. Mm. That's a fact. That's so, good. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that helped us to sustain. And in that regard, again, as I said, value-added services, those are the areas. Many fintech companies find it, find it hard to make to be sort of profit making, especially because the margins on the normal banking, okay, I mean, how much you want to charge on, on charges, is it transfers, mm -hmm. how much transfers mm -hmm. you make mm -hmm. before you make it, before you become a big company? Yes. Or is it bill payments? Yeah, bill payments have is a decent margin, but how many bill payments would you have to, to have done mm -hmm. to become? So the more you are just traditional, mm -hmm. the less likely that you would make you know, profit. But then if we have value added services that we some of them we control the entire chain. Mm. So yeah, that's how we're able to sustain ourselves today. Um but of course we, we are definitely going to raise at some point. Mm. Hopefully I think at some point in twenty twenty three we do have people who have reached out mm. to, to want to fund us, to be frank. <laughs> and we have some too that we we are interested in, you know, raising from. Mm. But what what has been the case is that we've been sustainable. It's been weird, and every mm. time we say this to people, they are like, "How? How? FinTech?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> so again, we're not first time founders, and we we know the season that we're in. We only started six months ago, but there's been a down, so like a financial downturn raising and all those kind of things so i think that we came in with that mindset that a hey, markets might be hard one two as pragmatic people really myself and my co-founders mm -hmm. my co-founder we are not incredibly out there for the in terms of i don't know lavishness i think that a lot of a lot of startups could be sustainable mm -hmm. you know if they dropped their costs Mm. or things that you don't need and all. Again, raising funding is absolutely necessary if you want to grow big, big, big. So I'm not writing it off in any way. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm just saying in the earlier days, there's a lot you can do to cut costs. Um, I'm a Peter Obi fan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that already, that summarizes everything. <laughs> exactly. I don't need to talk much. But there's a lot of little, little things here and there that you can say no to, right? You don't need to fly first class. You have no reason. Some farmers fly first class. And that's money that can be used for advertising. Mm -hmm. I, I, okay, if you want to fly to America, let's say the ticket is 800,000 and first class is 3M. Mm -hmm. That's 2.2 .2 million naira. Mm -hmm. I don't know the cost. I'm just assuming. Mm -hmm. 
2.2 million can go a long way in, in getting customers, getting users. You know how much advertising that can do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that form the bloated expenditure of mm-hmm. so many startups might not even be necessary expenses. So many things can be can be cut. We still have we still have a lot of fun. You know, we don't for for many we don't exactly look like a bootstrapped company because we do what we have to do. We do retreats, we we even, you know, do a lot of fun. But mm-hmm. again, I think that's one of the things I learned also in six months that I don't know how people are spending there's some companies that don't understand how they spent that much money, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, because some things just don't cost as much as as it is, you know, made to look like it costs. So we, we have to really say that, just say the truth. But for some things, it will cost a lot of money to do that. And depends, depends on the startup. But for us, up till today, we've been able to run sustainably. In the future, definitely worse. I'm sure many of you guys listening um, are already taking notes, already ready, ready. And I know those founders that are listening in. I'm sure investors are also listening in and you probably want to reach out to Bolu to make sure that you don't miss out on <clears throat> most likely Africa's uh, unicorn. Who knows? Who knows? Bolu at tribapay.com. That's my mail. <laughs> 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 we have we have to make that clear, right? <laughs> if you want to reach out. <laughs> oh my god, that's crazy. Okay, so just wrap things up. Let's just hear like maybe one advice or more for um startup founders who are building stuff, right? This is not your first time doing this. This is like three times already. So what's your major advice to anybody who is interested in starting any company, any industry at all in Africa? Okay, so um, my few advice. Uh, one, be serious. Uh, being serious is a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. A lot of your competitors are actually not serious. They just want to raise money and, mm-hmm. and ball. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I found. So be serious about your job. Um, co-founders matter. Um, people matter, not just co-founders. Founding team. Startup is about people. At the earliest stage, it's just people doing things, serious people doing serious things. If the company is marketing well, it's because someone can market very well in the company. Mm-hmm. If the company is writing great software, it's because someone, they have a good software guy that can write. The company's brand is just the people at the earliest stage until they have enough money to hire. So work with a good team, try your best, do everything to get. If you personally, if you're a founder, whoever your co-founder is, the co-founding team counts. I've been in many shoes. I've done email marketing. I've done mar- actual marketing. I've gone out. I've, I do, I've done HR. I've done, the very things I've done. I've done customer service sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it counts. Um, then focus on the on the problem of people, right? Um, people have problems and listen to them. We have... As I said, as I said, we have a town hall today, our sixth sixth month anniversary town hall, where we, we we've been doing it. We talk to users, we bring them into a space, either Twitter space or Google Meet, and they are they just you know no company is perfect. They tell us, hey, if you did this, I don't like it. Oh, we're sorry, we'll fix it. 
and they listen to your users. If they're going to insult you, you listen to them. Anyhow, just listen. It will help you grow. It will help you sort of improve and know what to do and what not to do. I think there's a lot of advice, but I'll just stick with it uh, right now. Um, um, Bulu, it's it's really an awesome session. Many people are inspired. Many people are motivated. Thank you so much, Bulu, for doing this. Yeah, thank you for doing this, Cynthia. Um, it's this what you are doing is going to be very important for the ecosystem. Um, for people, for people to, I think I grew on. I think if you add my my journey, my story, I grew a lot on consuming people's content, listening to people's stories. I know. Mm. So by doing this, what you are doing is you are giving variety of stories to people and letting mm. them just, you know, get inspired and also letting them know this, the truth of, mm. of the story. So this is great. This is great work. This is work that I'm sort of happy to have spent some time sharing my own. This is good and well done. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me around. Alright, so there you have it. Thank you so much for listening up to this point. I'm really excited that you stayed all the way to this point where you're hearing my voice. But don't just keep this to yourself. Share with community, friends, family, startup founders that you know will really, really need this. And also, send me a DM of how this has helped you or in what way you were blessed by it. You can send me an email, send me a VN. I'll be really, really excited to receive it. All right, there you have it. I remain Cynthia Ichisum, and this is Startup Stories with Cynthia.